You're listening to The Simple Truth with Pastor Dion Cordova of Truth Ministries Calvary Chapel. See, for unbelievers, do you believe always incites a war on the inside? And not always with our logic, because the scriptures can be very convincing. There's a different war that's going on. Satan tries to keep people from responding to that question. Isn't that true? How many times didn't you hear the gospel message and all of a sudden there was some kind of distraction? All of a sudden there was something that happened, right? There's always going to be someone or something in our lives that serves as a distraction. The enemy makes every effort to keep us from developing a relationship with God. Pastor Dion explains in today's message how the enemy tries to put a barrier between you and God. God is constantly looking for ways to reach out to you and to guide you. But Satan is looking for the opposite, so he brings a distraction at a crucial moment. But you can rejoice because Jesus is with you and he'll never let the enemy defeat you. Now let's join Pastor Dion in the book of Luke, chapter 4, with today's edition of The Simple Truth. Guys, you know, our unbelief will rob us. It will rob us. Jesus, in so many words, as we read the passage, Jesus, in so many words, said this. Everybody said out loud, you snooze. You lose, said again. You snooze, you lose. So Jesus says, I'm the Messiah. I'm the Savior that you need. I'm the one, right? And they mm, don't believe him. No, in this guy, you know, Joseph's son, they don't believe it. So Jesus says, hey, listen, if you snooze, you're going to lose. Here's how Jesus put that. Jesus used some Old Testament illustration. In the Old Testament, There was a famine for three and a half years during the time of Elijah, all right? And because nobody in Israel, none of the Jewish people were believing in God, they were trusting in God, Elijah was sent to a heathen, or I should say a non-Jewish woman, widow, during this famine to help sustain him. Out of all the women in Jew, all the Jewish women, They they wouldn't believe that God could do something spectacular. So God ended up sending Elijah to a widow woman's house during a famine. And he told her, can you please make me a cake? And she said, there's been a famine. I'm on my last little bit of flour. I'm going to make a little bread for my son and myself because she was a single mom and and we're going to just die. And he said, well, go ahead, make me some. She believed God and she received Elijah. And because she did, he told her that her little bin of flour would never run dry. So for three and a half years, or, you know, thereabouts, whatever was left in the famine, she would dip in that thing, and a cup of flour would come up every time. I always wonder, like, did it get full and never go down? Or did it just, you know, did she even bother to look in and check it out? Or she just, by faith, every time. You know, you lift it up, and it's not heavy. You know, and you put it down. Oh! But listen, he wasn't sent to the Jewish people because they wouldn't believe. 
He was sent to a non-Jewish person, what they would call a Gentile. Then Jesus uses another illustration. And you remember Elisha and Naaman the Syrian who had leprosy? There were a lot of Jews who had leprosy. But Elisha wasn't sent to any of them because they wouldn't believe. There's this Naaman who is a general in the Syrian army. He hears about God, the one true and living God who can heal him from his leprosy, and he believes. So he comes all the way from Syria to Israel, finds Elisha the prophet, and Elisha, we remember the story, told him to go dip or immerse himself seven times in the Jordan River. And so, you know, he doesn't want to do it at first, but then he humbles himself and he does it. And after the seventh time, he comes up out of the water and his flesh that had been deteriorated was completely brand spanking new. It's fine as frog hair, as we said last time, right? So Jesus is telling them in Nazareth, his hometown, if you don't believe this blessings, this salvation is going to go right past you, to the Gentiles. And guess where it found its home? Right here in Española, right here among you, right? When we dismiss and reject the message of salvation, when we dismiss and reject the message of the gospel, there are no guarantees that we'll have another chance. That's what Jesus was saying. God isn't obligated to offer more opportunities. He can simply take the gospel somewhere else. In fact, how many of you were guilty of not responding to the first time the gospel was presented to you. Because it's the truth, isn't it? Most of us, I was seven years old and it still wasn't the first time. So the idea is, is that God is not obligated. He didn't have to keep pursuing us. He could have just said, you know, I gave you your chance, but you rejected it, you denied it. But he doesn't. He continued. And in fact, in Nazareth, they're going to get another chance. But at this point, they're totally rejecting Jesus. And so they said, we just can't believe it. And that's why, listen, there's no, there's no guarantee of a second opportunity. And that's why Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 7 says this. Read it out loud with me. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. And I would encourage you, those of you who are watching, maybe you haven't you know, surrendered your life to Christ. Today, if you hear his message, don't harden your hearts because there's never a guarantee that you're going to hear it one more time. He's offering it, and Jesus was offering it to him there in Nazareth. But the hearts of the crowd in Nazareth were about as hard as the, the leftover Easter peeps that are still in your cupboard, you know, those Easter candies. Those things get rock hard. And these guys in Nazareth, their heart, their heart was pretty hard. They refused to accept Jesus' claims. In fact, Jesus told them that the heathen Gentiles were going to get their salvation, their healing, and their blessings. And you know what that did? That made them, that made their, their blood boil. Everybody say, coraje. You know, that's that rage on the inside. How dare him? The Gentiles, those unclean, no good, God created them to be kindling for hell. Well, you know, he's, they're going to get our blessing? No way. They got mad, furious. I mean, usually Jesus' sermons start a revival. This one started a riot. And that congregation in Nazareth, you know, they cinched their hoodies and they went all on Tifa on Jesus right away. Let's read it. 
So all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, read it out loud, were filled with wrath and rose up and thrust him out of the city. They drug him out and they led him to the brow of the hill on which the city was built on that they might throw him down over the cliff. Then passing through the midst of them, he went his way. All right. So they got fuming. You know, the English people, they tar and feather people for public, in public humiliation. If they don't agree with somebody, and they're, they're doing, they, they tar and feather them. The Koreans lay them down and hit the bottom of their feet with rods. The Japanese shave people's heads. But the Nazarenes, they drag you off the edge of a cliff and throw you off. They throw you over. So, wow. And you think your unbelieving family members and friends are a hard audience. So they dragged Jesus over to that hill. And I've stood on the brow of that hill a couple of different times, looking down from the city of Nazareth, and it is a long way down. I'm sorry, it's like the gorge over in Taos. It is that kind of distance. They took him over there, and they brought him to the, to the hill, and they were just going to throw him off. But the Bible says that Jesus walked away. We read it. He just walked away from them, slipped through their midst, because it wasn't his time to die. And that wasn't the way it was going to happen. Jesus, his life was, had a plan. He had things that had to go through, and that wasn't it. And so they couldn't kill him yet. So Jesus walks away. It's tough. Here's what Jesus does. From Nazareth, he walks down that huge hill, down into the valley, and he goes to the city of Capernaum, where the royal official lived. All right? So Jesus gets away from them, goes over to Capernaum. Let's read it, verse 31. Then Jesus went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word was with authority. So again, Jesus gets out of a pickle there and leaves, and he walks over to Capernaum. Now Capernaum was the largest Jewish city off of the Sea of Galilee. It was a commercial hub of all of the Galilee area. It hosted a commercial market, and there there was fish and olive oil and produce. Capernaum was, was kind of like a big city in the middle of this, all of these little villages. And, and Jesus happened to get there. I don't know if it was a week later or a few days later, but Jesus happened to get there in Capernaum on a church day. So guess where he goes? Isn't that cool? He gets there on a church day, and he goes to church. And again, because he's the visiting rabbi, they ask him to preach. So Jesus gets up, and he shared the same message at Capernaum that he had shared at Nazareth, that he had shared with the Samaritans, this exact same sermon. It was compelling. It was convincing. It was challenging. Here was the challenge Jesus made them. Everybody say it out loud. Same one. In Samaria, in Nazareth. Now he tells them at Capernaum, do you believe? Well, that question always incites a war internally. See, for unbelievers, do you believe always incites a war on the inside? And not always with our logic, because the scriptures can be very convincing. There's a different war that's going on. Satan tries to keep people from responding to that question. Isn't that true? How many times didn't you hear the gospel message and all of a sudden there was some kind of distraction? 
all of a sudden there was something that happened, right? In fact, the audiovisual team, we always talk about this. Every time I'm sharing, you know, and preaching online, and we come to a crucial moment where I'm giving a call, you know, a salvation call, or some kind of a statement that is super important, and that's when the Wi-Fi goes weird. In fact, we were at the parking service. We're at the parking service, and there was one particular phrase, I think it was a paragraph in my message, that was just outstanding, exalting Jesus. And everything had gone fine. We'd been like, we're like 25 minutes into the sermon. I'm, I'm pretty much getting close to, to the end. And it's been great. And I get to that particular thing, and all of a sudden, the little tablet that they were recording it on, it just went off. Just, it overheated and stopped right at that moment. The devil doesn't want you to hear the most important things in God's word, whenever there's a challenge, whenever there's an invitation, he doesn't want, whenever there's something that's going to grab your heart, he doesn't want you to hear it. And Jesus is teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. Let's watch what happens. There's a guy there. Now in the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice saying, let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him in the midst, it came out of him, and it did not hurt him. So, Jesus is teaching in the synagogue. He's giving them an invitation. Do you believe? There's the challenge. And in that synagogue was a man who had an unclean spirit. He was bound by demons. I know, don't be shocked. Not everyone in church is a saint. Church is supposed to be a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. Isn't that right? Church is a place for us to come and get our demons out of our life, right? Maybe a demon of anger or alcohol or unforgiveness or pride, or pornography, prejudice. You fill in the blank. All of us come in with something that we've got to get rid of. Can you say amen? That's why we come. That's why that guy came. That's why he was there. He wanted to get rid of this that was going on in his life, being bound by those demonic spirits, bound by those lusts or whatever was going on in his life. I want to be rid of them. That's why people come. That's why we come. We got stuff we want to get out of our lives. And this should be the place. You know, a church should be the place that we find help and forgiveness and redemption and transformation. You know, I'm not at all shocked about the guy being there. I mean, what I question is how long had the demonized guy been going to the synagogue looking for help and nobody would ever help him? It wasn't the fact that he was there that shocks me. It's the fact that how long had he been there? Now, all they ever taught was, you know, verses about tithing or verses teachings about, you know, tradition. The guy needed help. He needed an encounter with Jesus is what he needed, an encounter with the Savior. And then there Jesus was and said, I am he. And do you believe? Well, on that day, that guy heard the salvation was within reach. That salvation was in the room. And the demonized man became hopeful. Then he heard, when he heard Jesus say, today is the day of salvation. Repent and believe. And that guy in the congregation, he thought, this is my moment. But before he could get his hand up, he was about to make a decision of faith. Satan made a play on him. 
to keep the man from responding to the message. Cause a disruption. We know who you are, Jesus, the Son of God. The guy was about to make a, a decision. Satan is, and his demons will tolerate their captives listening to a sermon. But if that sermon makes a call for faith, a decision, it calls for a decision to believe, it asks for a challenge to change, then he'll put up a fight because they want to keep people tied up in their sin, in the wickedness, in the game. Listen, there is a battle for your eternal soul. It is no coincidence that when we're here, Satan does what he does to try to distract you. Those of you at home, he tries to you know, spoil our internet connection. He'll create distractions at the most inopportune times, at the point where the Holy Spirit's wrestling with your heart, pull you away. Listen, but if you make a decision and a choice for Jesus, if you make that decision, no demon in hell can keep you away from Jesus. In fact, Paul explained it like this in Romans chapter 8 and verse 38. He said, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the man's hearing the message is about to respond and the demons on the inside of him start creating a ruckus. Start warring. Makes a, a spectacle. But Jesus didn't have to shout any mantras over the guy. He didn't, Jesus didn't say, Biddlejuice, Biddlejuice, Biddlejuice. He, he didn't do that. He didn't say, Abracadabra, Pata de Cabra, or anything like that. Jesus simply said, Yakety yak, you demon, don't talk back. Just put on your coat and your hat, walk yourself to hell's doormat, and when you're finished doing that, Yakety yak, don't come back. Well, that unclean spirit didn't want to go. Didn't want to let that man go. But when Jesus speaks, devils and demons have to obey. The demon shrieked and howled in defiance. It shook the man in spasmodic convulsions. But then it left the man at the feet of Jesus. No longer bound. No longer shrieking. No longer hurting. But it left the man there worshiping and singing. Singing, you lifted me up from the ashes. You carried my soul from death to life. You're bringing me from glory to glory. Jesus, you are my rescue story. That's what he was saying. You are my rescue story. The people were amazed and impressed. They all knew the man. Let's read it. Been going to church there for a while, apparently. Then they were all amazed and spoke among themselves, saying, What a word this is. For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And they report went about him and went to every place in the surrounding region. Wow. The people were shocked and bedazzled at what had happened, what they had seen. The congregation of the Capernaum synagogue spread what they had seen and heard. They created a buzz all over the city. A man that they all knew was this. Everybody said out loud, what? Transformed from sinner to saint. That's what an, an encounter with Jesus will do. If we believe and we receive. When we first come, we might have all kinds of apprehensions. There are all kinds of obstacles just to get to church, just to listen to a message. 
But in those words, in that sermon, are more than words from a preacher. It's Christ Himself. It is the Holy Spirit being preached. And those words pierce our hearts. They, it's an encounter, not with a sermon or with a church, but with a Savior. What we do with that will make the difference of whether we become transformed or we remain the same. That man had been going to church for so long, but in those words was not the message of salvation, was not the message of rescue. They maybe talked about socialism, or, the, or maybe they talked about what was going on in politics, or maybe they talked about you know, just tithing and traditional stuff. But Jesus was talking about salvation and rescue. And when we believe it, the transformation takes place. First of all, being saved from our sin, from the miry pit, He picks us up and He puts us on established rock, which is Himself. And it continues. The transformation continues. Because we all know that there are things in our life that still remain, even after we're saved. I wish we could just, you know, come to Jesus, have a come to Jesus moment, get an inoculation, and from then on, we're like, the best! Just like Jesus! There are constant little things in our life that need adjustment. And just like when we get rid of three, we look back and there's three more that we're carrying. But the Word of God, here's what it does. It's an encounter with Christ. And when we receive Him, His message, His truth into our lives, it makes the changes. It turns ashes into beauty and sorrow into joy. And sinners into saints. And it's just about accepting, believing. Pastor, if I could only see a miracle before, I tell you what, if you will have faith, you'll see the miracle after. I'm looking out at a bunch of faces of people that I know. People I've known for years. And when they came, I'm going to tell you, they were worse than you. But I have watched as they have opened up their heart and their life to Christ to that encounter with His Word, and their lives are changed. Are they perfect? No. Not perfect, but they're forgiven, and they're growing, and they're getting better, right? They're not perfect, but God's doing a work in them. They're under construction. And I'm praying that you also will join them. That you'll allow God's Word to just flood into your life, have an encounter with Him, and be transformed. Let's all pray together right now. Father, I know I'm a sinner and I need your forgiveness. I've ignored you. I've run from you. I've even fought you. But today, today I surrender. I repent for my sin and I turn to you. I accept you and your word into my life. Change me. Revive me. I'm yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us as Pastor Dion Cordova has brought us a message here on The Simple Truth. In this series entitled Encounters with Jesus, Pastor Dion has been digging into what it looked like for those that met and felt the healing power of Jesus here on earth. 
From people who thought they had it all together to those that believe they had nothing to offer, Jesus engaged with all of them equally. What an incredible thing to be able to interact with and talk with and even physically touch Jesus, the Son of God. It's a great privilege that many had the opportunity to experience during those times. The Simple Truth is a ministry out of Truth Ministries Calvary Chapel in Española, New Mexico. We have services on Sunday mornings at 9 or 11 a.m. And if you'd like to jump into a Bible study with us midweek, come on by this Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. We'd love to have you. All of this information and more is found at tmcalvary.com. If this ministry has proven to be a blessing in your life, would you consider partnering with us financially? We have a donate tab on our website. Once again, that's tmcalvary.com. Head on over there now and check it out. You can also call us for any of your other questions. Our number is 505-753-4363. Once more, that's 505-753-4363. Well, that brings us to the end of our time today, but we hope to connect with you again. Pastor Dion has more to share, and you won't want to miss the next edition of The Simple Truth. You're the one that we proclaim. We'll be fools for you as you work in us. May your power show in the deeds we sow. Let us join our hands and together we stand. Together.